This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us again on today. And as always, we we love it when folks are listening for the first time. A special welcome to those of you that are joining us today and you're tuning in to the World of UX podcast for the first time. Uh, today, a little bit of a segue. So we're going to do what we normally do when we're doing a segue. Uh, we're going to have what we call a UX potpourri session where I'm going to address certain topics that that are uh, pre-selected, if you will, and just address these going to be a relatively short show. I think today uh, we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> you never know if I get on a roll or something, but uh, I'm going to address what I think is some some relatively uh, low hanging fruit that needs to be addressed. And some people might not consider it low hanging fruit. It it, you know, that, that this can almost be a topic in and of itself. People in the U.S. community, if you were to ask them family feud style, if you were to ask people to name, say, the top 10 or 15 things that they think are critical to what's going on in U.S. right now, you're going to going to get a whole host of things. And the three things that I'm about to mention in this episode, <laughs> are not going to be on their list. So when I mention low-hanging fruit, it is not a consensus-oriented low-hanging fruit. These low-hanging fruit that I'm taking the time to address today are the result of observation. They're the result of conversations that I've been having with people. They're the result of, of looking at trends that I have seen that that come up and and there's no way in the world we're all going to have a consensus on these types of things anyway, because everybody's at a different place. Everybody's in a different position. And and for that reason, perceptions are going to be different. So I'm going to put some food for thought out there by way of the three, the three topics that I want to present in this potpourri session. And, and I want to challenge you if, as you hear these things today, I challenge you to look at yourself in light of the topics that I'm going to bring up. I challenge you to see where you stand with regard to these topics, and, and I challenge you to take the appropriate action. I guarantee you the three things that I'm about to mention, these are not things that don't exist. These are not Darren Hood things. These are things that are going on. These are things that are critical. And if you want to excel in the world of UX, you're going to have to pay attention to these things. In, in one way, form, or another. So topic number one for this go-round of the UX potpourri is what I refer to as the challenge of relearning. Again, the challenge of relearning. Now, what do I mean by the challenge of relearning? As some of you know, I, I publish book recommendation lists from time to time. I'm working on another couple right now. So you'll be seeing two new ones in the not too distant future. Uh, all goes well. Uh, the When I post these, these 
book recommendation list, there are times that conversations come out of these 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 uh, these lists and my sharing of these lists. And one of the things that comes up from time to time, I told you this stuff comes out of observation. The one of the things that comes up from time to time when the lists are presented is that people will say, hey, so which one do you get the most out of or which is your favorite book? Or if there were two or three that you recommend that I read, which ones would do you think I should start with? I mean, there's a whole host of questions that tends to come up anytime we're looking at what, what's presented in these in these book recommendation lists. And when you think about the vast majority of the questions, they have a tendency to sort of favor or be more more geared toward people who are up and comers, people who are more junior. And but I mean, take another look at this. And 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 this is going to affect juniors, this is going to affect mid-level people, this is going to affect more senior people. When you become a user experience professional, you've heard me say this over and over again, you are opting in to lifelong learning. So let's just say, let's just pick a book. And to help prove this point that I'm trying to address today, let's take uh, the Jesse James Garrett book, his old book from 2002 about user experience. This is a book that those of us that were coming in, I mean, this was, I mean, huge bestseller. This is phenomenal, phenomenal stuff that he's presenting in this book. Just some of the things, some of the thoughts were definitely ahead of his time, things that didn't even transpire for a few years. And when you look at that book, so say you read the Jesse James Garrett book, and 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 for argument's sake, you can apply what I'm about to say to any book, whether it's about face by Alan Cooper, whether it's the polar bear book about information architecture, it doesn't matter what the book is. It really doesn't. You read the book initially. I read his book when it first came out. And then I began glancing at it over and over again. And that's part of what I'm going to get at with this. You read a book, no matter what the book is, you read the book when it came out or you read it when you bought it. Because we don't buy all the books as soon as they come out. We sometimes we're we're late to the to the party, so to speak, and and we'll we'll get a book later. No matter what the book is, and no matter when you got the book, with regard to when it was released, you and I still continue to advance and we continue to grow. And here's the thing that a lot of people miss out on, and this is what I'm referring to when I talk about relearning. I read the Jesse James Garrett book in 2002. I look at it again and I continue to look at it again, again, and again, and again, and again, over the last 21 years. That book came out 21 years ago. Does that mean, because that book came out in 2002, does that mean that the information in that book is no longer of use, that it's no longer of value, that it no longer helps provide us with vantage points that, that will prove to be a, a, a benefit to us? As professionals, the answer is no. I remember someone saying, what book do you want to read now? Uh, in conjunction with what I'm addressing here. And I said, I want to go back and look at something I already read. 
because I understand the value of relearning. So again, let me back up a minute. I read that book in 2002 and I continued to revisit. I didn't read it from cover to cover again after that. I just continue to jump in at certain points. And that's one of the reasons I've talked about this before. I love having an electronic library versus a print library. And I have the book on in my Kindle account and I have it in, in hardback or, or not hardback, but in you know print. So the thing is, as you and I continue to grow, relearning is of critical importance to our own maturity in the discipline. Because as you and I grow, it is critical that we go back and re-expose ourselves to things that we were, were partaking of that helped us to become who we are or who we were at any given point in time. The reason for that is, and the reason why relearning is so critical to our development as user experience professionals is because as we continue to grow, I was one person in 2002. I was another person at another stage in my personal UX maturity in 2005. I was at another stage in 2008, another stage in 2011, another in 2013, another in 2016. We are growing. And because we're growing and we're changing, we're maturing, we digest information differently based on where we are in that maturation process. So we digest things differently. We see things from a different perspective. We're able to take it in and process it with more expertise. Folks, relearning is one of the most critical things that we can do to advance ourselves within the discipline. It's pretty much guaranteed that when you read something that Jesse James Garrett said in 2002, and you read it again in 2022, you're going to hear it different, differently. You're going to process it differently. And when that happens, you're going to act on it differently. And that's where all of this is going. So I challenge people today, engage in relearning because it is going to help you be better. Look at those things that you feel like you really have a good, solid grasp on. Go back and read them again. Go back and study them again. Look at it. Bring the devil's advocate mindset with you. Look at it again. Challenge different things. And when you do that, which is really you're engaging in critical thinking at that point, it's going to guarantee that you're going to do greater, bigger things with that information because of how much you've grown since you were first exposed to it. So, folks, that is the challenge of relearning. Don't be so determined to get the new book. When you already have a bunch of books and a bunch of videos that you've watched and a bunch of talks that you can access on YouTube, whatever it might be. Matter of fact, we, we talk about the development of a filter. When you truly grow, when you truly mature in user experience, you will find that there were things, there were concepts, there were presentations, there were talks that you thought were the best thing since sliced bread. You know, I don't know where we get that saying from, but anyway. You know, you know what I mean? And you go back and when you've developed, when you've grown, when your acumen has reached a point where you, you are a much better critical thinker, you may find that some things that you expose yourself to at one point in time or at some point in time, you no longer want anything to do with it because you realize that you were actually partaking of snake oil. 
And a lot of us have that in our background. There were times that we embraced something. I have things and people and concepts that I used to gravitate to earlier in my career that I wouldn't touch now to 50 foot pole because I understand that people are, it's a completely different animal and it, it's not really helping me. The funny thing is at the time it did, but as you grow, you outgrow certain things or you find out that really wasn't as valuable as I thought it was. So the, the challenge of relearning is critical. We can see our own growth, which should be a tremendous encouragement for us when we're able to see and identify things like that. So make sure you embrace the challenge of relearning today. Topic number two, and this is one I don't think is going to be on anybody's radar. And, and, and I have to say that in all fairness, that somebody somewhere thought of what I'm about to say, but I've never heard anybody talk about it. And if you've considered this before, kudos to you. It is critical. It's just not something that people think about. Because a lot of people, they're, they're after the warm fuzzies. And they think that when you talk about certain things that you're being negative, they don't realize if you have a nail in your tire, to consider the nail in your tire is not negative, it's constructive. And it could save your life because you're paying attention to the nail in your tire. So when people spin certain things and say that they're negative, uh, it depends on how you're looking at it. And it depends upon where you plan on being uh, in the future. Uh, if, if there's a nail in your tire, get it out. If if it's raining outside, get an umbrella. If you're sniffling, you might be coming down with something. So take the appropriate measures to make sure that you're going to be safe and you're going to be productive. And, and so there's nothing negative about it. It just it is what it is. Topic number two, all that said, is something that I'm referring to as a junior UXer litmus factor. I'm sure, folks, you know what a litmus test is. It's something that you can do that will help you to understand what something is or where someone is. It's like a validator, if you will. Uh, and so, it, but instead of calling this a litmus fact, a test, I'm calling it a litmus factor. It, it's a, it's something that comes into play where an individual is in their in their progress, in their status as a user experience professional that will help determine what their trajectory is going to be. And this is something that, that I just started really paying attention to recently, but sort of vetted it out pretty quickly and come to the realization, realization that it is legit, that this junior UX or litmus factor, if you want to confirm because this is about trajectory. If you want to confirm, because there's one thing to see where you are today as a user experience professional. It's one thing to understand where you are on the personal UX maturity scale, so to speak. There's the dwelling place and then there's the trajectory. Where are you headed? What are you capable of? What is your potential? So when we talk about trajectory, these are the things that that I'm addressing. And this junior litmus factor involves one's ability to fruitfully interact with true seniors, not just somebody who says they're a senior, because there are a lot of people that say they're seniors and they're not. Or they might be a senior at their company, but their company isn't that mature, frankly and truthfully, when it comes to UX. 
So if you have a, a highfalutin title at a company with a low UX maturity level, does that really say a lot? <laughs> it really doesn't because a senior at one company is a junior at another, truth be told. And a principal at one company is a mid-level at another. So let's not get all caught up in titles today. You may have a title, but what are you really? You know, look at your organization. That's one thing. And if they gave you the title and they're giving you the money to go with it, more power to you. But truth be told, when that rubber meets the road and you either are looking for a position uh, trying to leave and go to another company or you're representing yourself by delivering a talk or something like that, who you truly are is going to come out. And so I encourage people, you want to make sure that you are really representing yourself properly. Because if not, it's really going to hurt when the real you comes out. And the litmus test is always there. This validator is always going to be present. And here's my point and what I'm trying to get at, because none of that really had anything to do with the point I'm trying to make here. The point I'm trying to make is that where you're going to go, if, if I have seen so many up and coming UX professionals, whether it's someone I work with, someone on social media, uh, someone that I met at a, at a meetup, uh, someone who I may have interacted with at the UX chit chat hours that we hold monthly, which is moving to Friday, by the way, starting this month. I met people and they have absolutely, they struggle to interact with real senior UX professionals. They are intimidated. Intimidation happens. You know, you're, you're a big guy. You're a big gal. Get over it. You, you can get over. It. Don't, don't even worry about that. Um, you can get over intimidation. Um, you can get over a lot of other factors. But, you know, and, and it's really a natural occurrence. I, I've heard a lot of people who talked about being intimidated by folks and they end up settling down. So that's something that you can get over. The thing I'm about to address, which is the red flag, is not something that people get over. There are people. They come into contact with a senior, a real senior, and they just refuse to cope. They don't want to listen to them. They are threatened by them, which is different than being intimidated. Because if you are threatened by someone because they are skilled, that is an EQ deficiency mark. Why are you threatened by somebody? How many times do we in our life encounter somebody who's good at what they do? Are you threatened every time you come in contact with somebody who's good at what they do? Can't you just enjoy that? Can't you be benefited by it? Can't you embrace it? Isn't somebody else allowed to be successful beside you? So we're really getting at with what I'm mentioning here. People have EQ deficiencies. People are narcissistic, don't like somebody else to be qualified or have the attention or have the thumbs up applied to them. That's a narcissistic tendency. If you are a junior UXer, and if you are, fine, great. We were all junior UXers at some time. Some people don't even like the fact 
that they're junior UXers. They that when someone refers to them as being junior, they get offended. They 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 tighten all up and and they start puffing out their lips and all kind of stuff. If you're junior, you're junior. If you're mid-level, you're mid-level. If you're true senior, you're true senior. If you're principal, you're principal. If you lead, you're lead. Whatever you are, just rest in that. So what? Whatever you are, it really doesn't change anything. When the work comes, you still got to do the work. So so who you are from a title perspective is, is always fleeting anyway, truth be told. Because as soon as you sit down to do the work, nobody's sitting there, all right, are you a senior? You didn't, Nobody's thinking about that. Who you are is going to come out in the way you do the work anyway. I, I knew someone once, I mentioned this recently, I believe, uh, a person who was a, a, um, a senior manager who actually, in talking about research and talking to stakeholders, asked the stakeholders how many people they wanted them to, to have participate in the research. How many research participants would you like to have? Would you like 30? Would you like, you never ask a stakeholder. So here's a person, their title said senior manager, and they said something that looked like, I mean, that wasn't even entry level. That was student, a student level error. So it's even qualified, but their title said senior manager. So who cares? Who cares about things like that? The bottom line is, if you are threatened, if you feel like you can't be yourself, if you cannot engage in a fruitful, professional, and mature manner with someone who is truly a senior, that is a litmus test. And, and, and if that's you, fine. It doesn't mean your career is over. It doesn't mean you got to give all your paychecks back. But what it is, is it's an indicator that there's something that needs to change. Something needs to change, whether the person accepts it or not. And I know a lot of people who don't accept it. And they'd rather work harder at trying to make the senior look bad than they do working hard trying to make sure that they're qualified, that they're genuine, that they're the real deal, that they're legit, as one of my recent social media posts talked about. Labor to be legit. And when you're legit, you'll find the more legit you are, the less threatened you are about other people. The more legit you are, the, the less concerned you are that somebody knows more than you. But if you can't deal with, and a lot of juniors can't, if you cannot deal with seniors, you got to go back to the drawing board. There's work that you have to do. This is a litmus test that never really comes out very much. Or if they do, it, do, it doesn't come out the way that I'm expressing it here today. So another challenge for all of you juniors under the sound of my voice today. If you are uncomfortable engaging with seniors, I challenge you to make it a point. Face the, face the fear head on. Face the anxiety head on. Make it a point to engage with seniors so you can get over that anxiety, get over that, that fear because fear will paralyze you and it will keep you from being what you can be. It will it will cause your trajectory to be downward. And who wants to be on a downward trajectory? So embrace that litmus test or litmus factor, not a test, factor. Embrace that litmus factor. Understand that it's saying something about you that needs to change and go and, go and make the change. There, there's no sense in, in being there. And, and there's a lot of real senior people 
in the discipline like myself that absolutely love helping folks. Now, that doesn't mean that you go and find somebody that's not really a senior, which also means you got to get good at judging who's a senior, who's not, because there's a lot of people out there who can't wait to, to quote unquote, help you out, but really are not bringing anything to the table. So, and then as you, the, the longer you listen to them, the more you're going to need a, a cognitive enema later on because of the type of stuff they're giving you that's not really helping you to grow. So make it a point that you embrace the litmus factor, make it a point to get good at interacting with seniors and, and it's going to help you to be in a better position. That, that dynamic is going to help you to ascend from an EQ perspective as well. And then when those seniors share, when those seniors give back to the community, you'll be in a position to accept, to embrace, and to apply those things instead of playing the, the uh, UX or the cried wolf games and, and, and doing this UX boogeyman talk and all this kind of stuff. Because that's what happens a lot when people are not comfortable with the UX seniors, the real seniors. They try to label us as boogeyman and they try to keep people from engaging with us because really they're afraid to engage with us and they try to get other people to be afraid. And I know people who have who have been sold on that, rejected it, embraced and engaged with the seniors and their careers took off. I'm not the only one out here freely giving out great info. You heard the episode with Debbie Levitt, for example, uh, just recently. If you haven't, please go back and check that out. She's a person who gives and gives and gives and gives and gives, and she's not charging for it. There's a time that there's certain things that are charged for, but nobody has, to my knowledge, a bigger library on on YouTube of things you can just dive into and download and upscale at any time you like. So the people who are, someone someone actually labeled uh, Debbie, myself, and Dr. Nick, labeled us as as a, a pack of rabid dogs or something, something on that line. We've never behaved like that. But this was something that somebody got into that fear-mongering state and somebody didn't like something that was said, and that's the direction that they went. And now everybody who buys into that, they don't, the things that we do that will benefit them, the person won't be able to partake of it because of this, this attitude, because of the surmising that they partook of, it puts them in a position where they're where now they don't get to benefit. And if you listen to them, you won't benefit either. So make sure you can engage with true seniors. Make sure you can listen. Make sure you can dialogue with us. Don't be afraid to ask us questions. Don't be afraid. Look up Tony Mora. Look up Karen Lynn. <laughs> Look up Michelle Packren. Look up Joel Barr. I mean, there's so many. Look up Dr. Ari. Look up Jonathan Bowman, some other people we hope to have on the show in, in the not-too-distant future. Look up Spencer Ivory. There are people out here that are willing to share, willing to give. And if you hold a false perception of who they are, you're cheating yourself because you don't know how to fruitfully interact with that senior. So do yourself a favor. Engage. With, find out who the seniors are, the real seniors engage. There are some that are real seniors. They just don't like to give. That's their choice. That's their prerogative. If they do that, that that's fine. Don't let's not cast any aspersions upon the people that don't give back. Uh, there's some of us who are more comfortable doing it. Some of us have more time doing it. And, and so, Hey, 
the resources are out here, tap into them and, 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 and just lay a, a nice solid path for yourself to advance. So there's your litmus factor. Our final topic for today, and this actually stemmed from, there was a, a question that came up and I shared this in that Kaizen UX tip of the week that I produce. Uh, I call it tip of the week and, and, you know, I'm liable to do two or three in a week. So, you know, you never know, but that's just the title that we gave it. But in this Q and a, and that's the way it's presented as there's, as if it's a, a Q and a segment, um, Someone said, why is it that we, as UXers, why do we have to spend so much time convincing people that what we do is important? It seems like it's such a waste of time. And there are so many people who are so, they, they are, I hear people talking about it all the time. I see posts about it all the time. Why do we always have to prove the worth of UX research? Why do we always have to prove the worth of UX design? Why do we have to stand toe-to-toe with all these other disciplines to explain what we do? Why don't people just get what we do? Well, we talk about this a lot. Remember, the discipline is only 20 to 25 years old as we know it today. There were predecessor disciplines, but what we know as UX today is only 20 to 25 years old. So that means that there's a lot of people that do not understand who we are, what we do. When we go to a meeting, if you go to a meeting and 10 disciplines are represented, really doesn't matter. Three, four, five, six. There could be three disciplines represented. There could be two. There could be 20. It doesn't matter. Anytime that happens, we're always the baby in that meeting. We're always the baby in the room. The QA, QA has been around for a long time. Programming has been around for a long time. Product owners, product management, that's been around for a long time. People even have more respect for, for, for uh, Agile than they do for UX people because, and here's the thing, Agile has, has not been around for a very long time. But you know what the difference is between Agile and UX? Agile is a finite science. UX is an infinite science. And because a lot of the other disciplines are finite sciences, and UX is, a, is, is an infinite science, that's going to make it more difficult for some people to put their finger on it. It's going to make it more difficult for people to understand it. It means it's going to take longer for people to get it. So the fact that we are called to ambassadorship, we have to be ambassadors and diplomats, every last one of us. If you want to be in UX, you commit to lifelong learning, as we mentioned earlier. If you're going to be in UX, you have also become an ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador, by definition, is an authorized messenger or representative. And you don't have to embrace the messenger part, but you have to embrace the representative part because every UX professional is a representative of the discipline, which means that you have to represent the discipline accurately. You have to represent the discipline in a way that demonstrates value. You have to represent the discipline in a way that helps those who don't know or those who are growing in their understanding of user experience. Our representation of UX should help them to make progress. They're not going to get it all in one helping, if you will. They're not going to get it all in one serving, if you will. It's going to be over time 
that people are going to truly grasp what UX is. And during that time, you are going to have to spend time convincing people that we matter. You're going to have to spend time convincing people that what we do truly brings value. I told a story recently about one person. He went, he, he went home from work one day and everything was great. And he came back in the next day and a, a leader in their department or a leader at their company, I should say, he got, they've apparently been talking about it for a while, decided to trash the entire user experience operation in that organization. And without even talking to that person, without hearing what they had to say, the person who was behind the, the eviction of, of the UX operation, and, and it was told to me, the person said that they hate user experience. They hate UX. You know that they learn to hate UX because somebody failed to be a proper ambassador or the person was being an ambassador, but they were not being legit. One way or another, the discipline was not was not uh, represented properly because there's no way in the world that a person comes in contact with actual user experience and walks away saying that UX brings no value. It's already been proven. Design-led organizations outperform the competition by anywhere from 216 to 228%. And they got different figures over a certain length of time. So if design-led companies automatically outperform the competitions and the, the companies that appeared on that list by Design Management Institute, Honeywell, IBM, Coca-Cola, Apple, these companies that that strove to provide a good user experience. When people go out of their way to make sure that they provide a truly validated and trustworthy user experience, they're going to outperform the competition. So if this person comes back into the office and says, I hate UX, get rid of all of them, and then sell somebody on it where, oh, because you know that didn't just happen in one night. The person comes back in, wax the whole UX team. It's because somebody failed to represent us properly. And, and for every company where that happens, like all the layoffs going on uh, recently, that's all a copycat type of thing. And a lot of those organizations that I've heard about where UXers have been laid off, have been laid off are companies where they've been like sort of doing a song and dance, but not really doing UX. And people say, no, no, Darren, I don't believe that. Look at Facebook, Facebook, Facebook user experience things. <laughs> It has always been terrible. And, and, and the research that they do a lot of times is people playing around using live settings. And, and this is not necessarily wrong, but the way they did it, it was wrong. Because when I first did A-B tests and multivariate tests, we use live sites to do it. But you have to roll out viable options every time you do it and then see which one performs better. Facebook rolls out to this day rolls out terrible options. And, and, and you could tell, I'm, I'm a UX person, I could tell that somebody rolled out some kind of a multivariate test and then it, or, or AB or multivariate and then checking to see how, what people, how people respond to it. Do they talk to us? They never talk to me. And anytime I've provided any feedback, I never heard back from anybody. They just roll things out. They're doing something else now. If you have a page, Here's a, here's a, here's a, I've never done this, I don't think, on the show, but I would give out a, a Kaizen UX fail award. 
And I get right now on this show, I'm giving Facebook Meta a Kaizen UX fail award because they have a function called pages, where if you have an organization or a company, you can create a page for that organization or company for whatever that operation is that you have. And then you can set it up where your customers, your fans, whatever can come there and interact with you. Now, they just rolled something out where it used to be that you could just go to that page as yourself, go to that page and engage and do whatever it is you needed to do on that page. Well, somebody got the grand idea that you needed to switch into that persona, so to speak, and then behave on Facebook as if you were that entity. And now they've got a feed just like you do for your personal Facebook page. And and it's, I didn't ask for that. I didn't need that. I only need to manage the page. Everything was fine. But somebody had this great brainstorm and decided that this was the way we needed to go. I don't know who in the world they talked to, because I don't know anybody who's going to like that. Just heuristically speaking, it's ridiculous. And you end up going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between your personal account and the pages. And and it's really a pain. They added a ton of work. So anyway, I I don't want to spend a bunch of time talking about that. I just want to prove the point that it's bad. It's bad. It's a really bad experience that is being prescribed by people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Now, here's the thing. When you have people who don't know what they're doing and they're exposed to people in leadership, people are going to see that person. Because remember, we're all representatives of the discipline. They're going to see that person as a representative. And if they are not impressed by, sold on the things that that person is doing, don't see the business acumen, don't see the expertise, if they don't see things, they look at UX as a whole. And then they react to UX as a whole based on what someone else did. And don't forget, these leaders talk across companies. So I have seen situations where leaders have engaged with other leaders at other organizations, and they end up with a certain perception of UX, not just based on their own personal experiences, but the experiences of the person that they connected with at other companies. So if you take 10 companies and UX is being misrepresented, and then that misrepresentation is going back to people in leadership, because they're going to they're going to find out, they're going to see it. They're going to come into contact with it. And and then these these attitudes against UX, these these hostilities, they get cultivated. And the next thing you know, the person comes in and they whack the whole UX department or they lay off a whole bunch of UX people. And and, and sometimes, as I also mentioned recently, sometimes the layoffs came because companies were trying to make up for the poor hiring that they had. And companies are still, their, their hiring still stinks. A lot of companies, we talked about that recently as well. When UX maturity level is low, then proper hiring will not take place. And we need to probably address that again in the not too distant future. But folks, you are an ambassador as we begin to wrap up. You are an ambassador to the discipline. I guess it didn't turn out not to be too short of an episode, did it? (laughs) You are an ambassador, whether you like it or not. And you and I have a responsibility to represent the discipline ethically, honorably, and accurately. 
And when we do, we vault the discipline forward. If and when we don't, we make things worse for everybody. So make sure that you embrace the call to UX ambassadorship and do the right things. And then you're, you're going to be more fulfilled in your career and it's going to help your teams, it's going to help your organization, it's going to help your users, your customers will all be better off for it. So folks, that is all the time that we have for today. So thanks again for taking the time to join us on today and tell your friends about it. Tell folks about the podcast. It's funny how misinformation goes viral, but really viable stuff doesn't. Let's try to counter that. Let's try to change that. Share information about the the, the World of UX podcast with your UX buddies and uh, let's help everybody give them some information that's going to help them evolve themselves forward and be the ambassadors that they're meant to be. Until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.